if you have your Bible, please uh, go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's going to be a Bible right in front of you, and um, there's also going to be the scripture on the screen. So Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. Uh, here's what it says. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to one another, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. All right. So we're continuing a series called Encounters with Jesus, and we've been talking about the different encounters that Jesus had with different people in the New Testament. And one of the things that you could assume is that, you know, this is the assumption of the Pharisees, that Jesus would have encounters with people who, quote-unquote, had it all together, who had their finances in order, who had their marriages in order, who had their kids in order. But you'll discover that the encounters that Jesus had with people were people that really did not have it all together. Together, we looked at this uh, last week, and we've been talking about one of the main uh, accusations against Jesus. They would, they would tell Jesus, like, this man, he welcomes sinners and eats with them. And when I think about that, that they, would, they would think that that was an accusation against Jesus, the fact that he would welcome sinners and eat with them, makes me think about us as a church, as individuals, and as a church collectively. You see, I don't want to be known as a church, and we've talked about this in the past weeks, for our numbers, for our finances, for our facilities, for our programs. I want our church to be known for, they'll look at Downey First Christian Church, and they'll say, that church is a church that welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so I've been thinking about this, and we've been looking through the different people that Jesus encountered. Nicodemus, remember? The 10 lepers. Last week, the woman caught in adultery. And today, we're going to talk about the rich, young ruler. How many of you guys are list people? Like, you have to have a list. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you have to have a list. I'm a, I'm a list person. I have to go through my list. Like, even on my day off, I have to have a list. Walk the dog. Wash the car, right? Cut the grass. There's something about checking off a list that is like a dopamine rush. I'm like, oh man, that felt good, right? Because you just kind of check it off your list. And, and what is like the ultimate bliss is when you get down and you check off the last thing on your list. I'm like, man, doesn't get much better than that. Some of you guys are looking at me like this guy is really weird because you're more spontaneous. How many of you guys are more spontaneous? That's my wife, you know, just kind of go, go with the flow, right? But I think that it's important to have 
some sort of structure in your life. Like if you have goals, like you have to have some sort of systems in your life. You have to have some, something that you're aiming for so that you can walk along this road and be able to achieve your goals. I think that's one of the reasons why the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and asks this question. I would argue the rich young ruler had a way of living his life which made him successful in life. How many of you guys have a mentor? Like you could say, I have a mentor. Like you have a mentor in your life. Okay, not, not many of you, but I would, I would say it's very important to have a, a mentor in your life. And not necessarily a mentor for all areas of your life, but that you'll try to find someone that you'll say, man, in 10 years, I would like to have a marriage like their marriage. And you come up to them and you take them out to lunch, you know, maybe once a month and just ask them a bunch of questions. And so you'll say basically this one underlying question, what must I do to be able to have a marriage like yours? Or in finances, you see someone who is financially where you would like to be 10 years from now. From now, You'll come up to him and say, what must I do to be able to be financially stable like you? Or physically, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that it is very possible that the rich young ruler had a way of framing his life to where this was his logic. Tell me what to do. You're a successful person. Tell me what to do. I'll do that, and maybe I'll achieve the success that you have achieved. Because we see this in verse 17. Verse 17, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. Verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this rich young ruler had heard about Jesus. He had heard about the kingdom. He had heard about the blessings. He had heard about eternal life. He had heard about the healings, and he wanted to partake of that. Like, what must I do, Jesus, to be able to be a part of this kingdom life that you have to offer? Tell me what to do. I will do that, and then I will inherit eternal life. That was his, his logic, and it makes sense. This man wanted a to-do list. Jesus, give me the to-do list. I'll go through that list. And then at the end of the day, I will achieve eternal life. I will do that. And then I will go to heaven. I grew up believing that Christianity was all about this. Christianity to me was a, a set of things you need to do in order to inherit eternal life. Do the things. And then as a result of that, you will inherit eternal life. And the bottom line is that every religion basically is framed in that way. Some say all religions are the same. I would say, yes, all religions are the same except for Christianity. You see, every other religion is basically a list of things that you need to do in order to have peace with God, in order to achieve karma, in order to have enlightenment, in order to achieve a state of nirvana, do those things, and then you will achieve these things. It's a transactional principle. Do this, and then I will get that, which is, has its logic, right? The problem is that every other religion never tells you how good is good enough. Like, when do you reach finally that last step on the ladder to where you can actually receive what you are looking for? You see, I think most people believe that Christianity is that as well. I grew up believing that. Just tell me, what are the certain things that I need to do in order to go to heaven, to enter life, to participate in the kingdom? That's, that was my assumption. 
And it's possible that you may be here today, and that might be your assumption as well. You come to church, you do the things that you need to do, and then you will receive eternal life, peace with God, all of these things. You see, that's the assumption of many. And it, is, and, it, and it was precisely the assumption of the rich young ruler. That's why he starts by asking, what must I do? What was Jesus' answer? Verse 19, he says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother teacher. And almost like he interrupts him, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Okay. You may have just heard what I, re- what I read, and you may say, time out, Pastor Josh. You just told me that Christianity was, was not about a list of duties. However, Jesus, the first thing that he answers when the rich young ruler says, what must I do, is a to-do list. What are you talking about, Pastor Josh, if it's not about a to-do list? Let me explain to you what... Jesus was telling the rich young ruler. He was not giving him a to-do list. He was saying this. He was saying this. He was saying, I see, rich young ruler, I see you have taken the path of following the law as a means to salvation. I can see that, that that's been your path. You've worked hard your whole life at being good. And yet here you are at my feet, realizing there's something missing. Verse 21 Says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Which to me means Jesus saying, you've tried your best to save yourself. How's that going? Here you are wondering if you can still save yourself after you've spent your entire life following all the rules. That's why his question remained. Your rich young ruler kept asking, what more shall I do? I've done all these things. What more shall I do? So the logical response that you might assume that Jesus would give the rich young ruler is, hey, relax. Don't do anything more. Like it's all been paid for. Stop trying so hard. Relax. I'm going to pay for everything. You just continue your life and don't worry about all these things that you have to do. No, Jesus doesn't answer that. He takes a different direction. He says, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Man, he's probably excited. Time for a list. Gets his notepad out. All right, go. Right? Tell me what to do. I'll do that thing. He says, one thing you lack. And then Jesus delivers the death blow. He says, go. Sell everything you have. Give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. It says that at this, the man's face fell. You know what just happened here? Jesus just asked him for the one thing that he knew he would never be able to give up. The man left sad because in his mind, Jesus had just placed the standard unreasonably high. Now, why did Jesus do this? I've heard this story preached wrong my whole life. Here's how I grew up hearing this this story preached. This story, I heard this preached like this. This was the final step on the rich young ruler's ladder. 
all he had to do was sell his possessions, give it to the poor, and if he did that, the result of that would be that he would inherit eternal life. He missed it. He was so close. If he would have only done that one thing, man, he blew it. So the application, this is how, what I grew up hearing. The application was, what is for you the one thing that you lack that Jesus is asking of you to give up for him so that as a result of that, you will inherit eternal life? What is that thing? Think of that thing. Hey, you give up that one thing, you'll inherit eternal life. All you got to do is do that one thing. The moral was, you don't want to end up like the rich young ruler. That's how I heard this story preached my entire life. Maybe you did too, but this is backwards. First of all, Jesus never said in Matthew, Mark, or Luke that his salvation depended on him selling his possessions. He never says that. He says, do this and you will have treasure in heaven. But then the man leaves, right? He leaves sad, which to many, that was the end of the story. But let me ask you a question. What would have happened in your mind if he would have, in fact, sold all of his possessions and given to the poor? And he would have come back to Jesus and said, hey, I did what you asked me to do. I sold all my possessions. I gave to the poor. What would have happened? Jesus would have said this, right? This is what I grew up believing. Oh, you did what I said. Perfect. Now you have tre treasure in heaven. Great. That's not true. You know what would have happened? He would have come to Jesus and he would have said, look, I did exactly what you asked me to do. And Jesus would have answered the same thing that he answered when he came up to him saying, all the commandments I have kept since my youth. He would have said, all that you sold, great. He would have looked at him and he would have loved him and he would have said, one more thing you lack. Why? What was Jesus trying to achieve with this man. He was trying to achieve the same thing that Jesus was trying to achieve in the Sermon on the Mount when he says in Matthew chapter 5, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. When he says you have to be perfect, he, he's not giving you a job description. He's not expecting you to be perfect. What he's trying to do is give you a death sentence. It's the same thing he did with this man. Go sell everything and give it to the poor. This was not an assignment. This was a death sentence. It's what he was doing with the man. He was wearing him down. Have you ever worked? Like, if you've, if you've been to the gym, there's this thing that, that some guys do, which is you're on the bench and you're, you're working till failure. Right? So you're on a bench and you're pushing weight and you have someone who's a spotter, right? And so you're going to push as much weight as you can. And then there's this moment when you literally can't do it anymore and you're like, I need help. And then the spotter comes in and he puts the thing down. Because there comes a moment when you just can't push anymore and you need help. You see, this is what he was trying to achieve with the man. You see, the law didn't work but his wealth would. That's why his face fell. I grew up believing uh, the King James Version, I believe, says that he walked away sad, which honestly I can say confidently that's a, not a very good translation because in the Greek, the word lupio means, doesn't mean he walks away sad. It means severe distress. It means those akin to labor pain. So in other words, he heard this from Jesus. He said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And he's like, 
like, like physically, this was, this was it, he destroyed this man. He couldn't even walk. He was just like, are you really, this is what it's going to take? So he was, it was a death sentence. He was basically saying, there is no chance, no possibility, no matter how hard you try, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And not only this, but also for the disciples. In verse 23, he says, look, as, and when the man left, he left away just destroyed. He couldn't even walk. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, to which to them it was a kind of a familiar thing to say. They would be like, yeah, those, those rich guys, you know, they're never going to make it. Not so fast. Because then he turns to the disciples in verse 24. It says, the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. So it's no longer about the rich. He's looking at them. How hard it is. Now they knew it was not just about the rich man, but it was about them. And then he drives the point home. Verse 25 and 26 says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 26, the disciples were even more amazed. In the Greek, it's uh, ek pleso, which means greatly astonished, panicked. They were panicked. You could, you could argue that the state of the disciples was very similar to the state of the rich young ruler, just like they were panicked and they were just distraught. And then they asked the question. It's a big question here. They said to each other, they weren't even talking to Jesus. They were just like talking to each other like, then who can be saved? I think they were thinking about this rich young ruler. Jesus told the rich young ruler, one thing you lack. And they're looking at themselves and I got more than one thing. I got a bunch of things that I lack. If it was hard for this guy who kept the law his whole life, who then can be saved? So what's the point here? Is it easy or is it hard? Neither. It's impossible. There's no way. There's no way. There's no way. Who then can be saved? Their thought was, this was a good guy. And so there was this moment where every, it was just like hopeless. It was, it, was a, it was a hopeless moment for the rich young ruler and for the disciples. What they were experiencing was what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 as godly sorrow. It's a godly sorrow. It's a sorrow that is a good sorrow because it leads to repentance and culminates in salvation. This was the goal. This was Jesus' goal. Jesus' goal was for everyone to get off the performance treadmill and realize, I've been wasting my time trying so hard. You know, um, especially for people who are legalists, who are people that like the checklist, which is my tendency. I heard a pastor say this once. If you want to frustrate people, tell them what to do. That's legalism. If you want to infuriate them, tell them there's nothing they can do, which is the gospel. You see, coming to terms with your absolute inability to save yourself is essential because only there will you encounter salvation. You have to become desperate. Maybe that's you today. Who then can be saved is a big question. Verse 26, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, in other words, on the performance treadmill, trying to do it on yourself, it is what? Hard? Heavy? Difficult? Challenging? It will take much effort. Mm -mm. I grew up believing it was hard. The truth is not. 
that. The truth is it's impossible. You see, whatever you call it, if you call it escaping judgment, if you call it entering the kingdom of heaven, if you call it salvation, if you call it forgiveness of sins, if you call it finding purpose, if you call it finding peace, this is not a challenge Jesus is presenting for us to tackle. He didn't want the rich young ruler to walk away with a to-do list. He didn't want for the disciples to think, I got to try harder. Maybe we'll do better next time. And he doesn't want you to walk away thinking, like the rich young ruler, I'm doing pretty good. I got my Christian life. I don't really lack much. I got like one more step and then I'll probably make it. He doesn't want any of that. You see, salvation is not a task that Jesus expects for us to tackle, but an unbearable weight that is meant to crush you. And he's going to keep adding weight until you give up. And you just say, I can't do this anymore. I need you. I need to be saved from myself. I need to be saved from my sins. I need to be saved. I cannot make it. The standard is too high. I am crushed. I cannot do it without you. That's the goal. That's what he's trying to achieve with the disciples. That's what he was trying to achieve with a rich young ruler. It's what he was trying to achieve in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, you got to be perfect like God is perfect. And it is what he's trying to achieve with you here today. There's no way outside of Jesus. So give up. It's what it means to put your faith in Jesus. That's what it means. It's not about saying the right thing or having the right answers. It's knowing in the depth of your heart that you are desperate and you are spiritually bankrupt. Because only then will you understand that you have no hope and become desperate enough for a savior. So what I want to do now is uh, I want to ask if we could close our eyes for a minute. And I'm going to say a few things and then we're going to pray. If you could, uh, yeah, just close, close our eyes and, and uh, bow our heads. You see, the gospel is not a difficult challenge. Christ says it himself in verse 27. He looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. Maybe you're here wondering, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want to tell you this morning, that is the wrong question. Because inheriting eternal life is not a task to tackle, but a person to trust, recognize, and follow. This is the point Jesus was trying to make at the beginning, right at the beginning, which is a question that was hidden in the initial question Jesus asks to the rich young ruler when he was saying, why do you call me good? There's only one that's good. It's only God. So are you calling me God? So I'm going to ask you a deeper question this morning. And it's the most important one. And it's not what do I need to do, but who do you say Jesus is? You may have the right answer, but maybe today you are ready to answer like Peter did in Matthew 16. When he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, this is the only question to be answered in order to inherit eternal life. It's not a to-do list. It's a person. So if you're here this morning and you want to recognize Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 
with eyes closed and heads bowed, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand and put it right back down, and I'm going to pray for you. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Amen. So this morning, God, as we present this, um, this message to you, I pray that it was presented in the right way, and I thank you for the hearts that were open and the hands that were raised to, to give their lives to you and to begin following you. Look, God, we can't do this without you. We're desperate. Thank you, God, for your message today, and we, we love you so much, and we present this to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.